This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store, Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha in caverns deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 658 of the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast. My name is Matt Baum, but my mother's maiden name is Kelly, with an E-Y, the Irish way. So I'll only be drinking half the green beer full-blooded Irish normally drink on St. Patrick's Day. And I'm the internet's Joe Patrick. I am not full Irish. Uh, my mother uh, is German, and I think beer tastes yucky. You've got the Irish uh, but last I might name, sip- though. I mean, come on. I do have an, I do have an Irish last name. Uh, but I might sip on an apple tini tomorrow, uh, heavy on the tini, or perhaps a good old-fashioned Ecto cooler. There you go. Did you really just give the entire internet your mother's maiden name? It's a big deal there. I don't use it for password shit. I'm not an idiot. Yeah, it's like the number one thing they tell you not to do, my man. I don't use it for password shit because I'm not a moron. Okay. All right, whatever. We're back with another Cosmic Longbox episode where we talk about eight classic back-issue comics based on a theme chosen for us by the sentient Longbox we discovered in a crater so many years ago. Could be radioactive. Hadn't thought of it. Probably. That, yeah, I mean, quite frankly, it is that just probably radioactive. <laughs> it's probably radioactive, yeah. After that, we'll talk about our must-read picks for next week's new comics. But before we get started, we need to reveal our theme. And then it's back issue time in the ziggurat. If you're listening to this show the day it drops, then happy St. Patrick's Day to you. And of course, we're celebrating with an Irish theme. This time, the Cosmic Long Box thought it would be fun to look at issues featuring characters you may not have known were Irish and others that were written and designed to be so Irish, it's borderline offensive. I'll be handling the surprisingly Irish category, and Joe will tackle what we're calling the comically Irish Joe, since you're the only true Irishman on the show, you get to go first this week. First up, the Cosmic Long Box is taking us to the misty shores of old Metropolis. The most Irish of all cities for Action Comics number 595. It is written by, oh, sorry, it's DC Comics, the year's 1987. It's written and drawn by John Byrne. The price was 75 cents. There was a typo there, not $3.99. Here is a, a, a synopsis for you. A black and white clad woman with a skull painted face calling herself the Silver Banshee terrorizes Metropolis by rampaging through bookstores. <laughs> it's just funny when you say it like that. She's looking for a book. Looking, looking for a certain book. Yeah, she wants to take a look. Yeah. While killing whomever she touches. When Superman confronts her, he discovers that it's not her touch that kills, but rather her voice. Uh, This issue brings us the first appearance of the Silver Banshee, mysterious woman with a deadly touch. She also has the expected Banshee's wail, but she only likes to pull that out for special occasions. Turns out she's in town looking for some reading material, an ancient Irish book, a theme that will carry through at least one more of my picks for this week. As she rampages through Metropolis, racking up bodies, the special crimes unit finds themselves powerless to stop her. Luckily, the Man of Steel is on hand. Or is it? 
This comic book is not one of Burns' best. No. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. The art is great. Silver Banshee is kind of scary, but the way Superman defeats her is has got to be one of the dumbest things I've read in a modern age comic. Suffice it to say, it involves see-through coffins, ghosts, and identity theft. Still, Silver Banshee would go on to be a recurring villain in the DC universe and is still in use today. She is definitely comically Irish, uh, but I don't know if, if I, I've been calling it shockingly Irish, but I think comically obviously fits better Yeah, as we're talking about comics. Uh, she's not shockingly Irish. Yeah, her, there was nothing here that said to me like, yeah. oh, she's Irish as hell. I mean, her, she's a banshee and she's I looking guess. for an Irish book. But I mean, uh, there's for, another for banshee the most, that I could name that is crazy. Yeah, and we're going to get to that, man. Uh, for the most part, she speaks normally with an accent that only sneaks in here and there. Uh, I'm giving Action 595 a skimmit, or as my script says, a skillet. Uh, I love this era of Superman. We all know this, but this issue is definitely not one of my favorites. Yeah, there was some dumb shit that went on here. And at first, it's real dumb. At it's first, like I was real like, dumb. Oh, crap. She killed Superman. And then I was like, wait a minute. She killed Superman and he turned to a ghost. And then I went, wait a minute. Superman like got knocked into a coma and John Jones just went, I'm going to give Superman a call and see how he's doing. You know what else I'm going to do? Pretend to be Superman's ghost. We're going to make a plan while Superman's yeah. in a coma. And when he wakes yeah. up, He's just going to be like, I knew the whole thing was going on the whole time. Well, but that, and that's just it, though, right? It's, uh, that's just it, is that he doesn't know because John Byrne tries to come up with a reasonable explanation for why Superman lets Lois and everybody else think he's really dead. Right. Uh, Which, by the way, asshole move, Supes. Yeah, like, yes. Massively um, asshole move. The plan was for John to pretend to be my ghost because she needs to. she needs to think she knows who she's killing. Like her powers are tied to identity. Right. Like if she knows your real name, she's got power over you. It's a very magical. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. He also then says, Oh, but no, I was in a coma for sure. Also, <laughs> so, like, also now I'll give this a skimming as well. I, all the burn stuff that I've read has been really good. This one was just loose. Weird. It's not, is this I the think first he, silver Banshee? I think it is. Yeah. So they introduced her by like silver Banshee comes waltzing into Metropolis. <laughs> she just walks in. Yeah. yeah, yeah. She's just walking around and construction workers like, Hey, hot bitch looking good. Yeah. And it's like, okay, first of all, she's seven feet tall. She's got, yeah, she's very tall. She's got flaming pants on and a skull yeah. face. You're like, and you live in Metropolis. You're aware Superman lives here. You've seen bad guys. And when you yeah, take right. a look at her, you don't get a boner. You go, there's a bad guy. Here. <laughs> we yeah, got to yeah, go. No, it's, um, <laughs> it's, uh, it, it, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. There's a questionable setup. <laughs> That's right. I, I think that, that I think that, that like, this might be where like Byrne was like, Oh God, I got to come up with an idea. Oh yeah, shit. What if Superman's was, a ghost? I don't, I'm doing two books a month writing and drawing, get it, get off right. my back. Or they scrap get something up. else and like, I don't know, do that stupid silver banshee story. He had like, all right, fine. <laughs> it's like like the the cover even says uh, get, this was the team up era of action comics and so normally it would say like action comics featuring superman and the teen titans or whatever and this is superman and question mark question mark question mark. <laughs> and i like to think like in my head canon it's like they literally didn't know that right they're like print the cover like the we just gotta marks, print the cover just do the it question marks are aren't on purpose right these kids are so stupid they won't care like those weeks when we're like next week on the show we'll give you a taste of our patreon extra we should probably think what we're gonna do about next week you know yeah yeah no, it's, uh, <laughs> except this one got all the way to print yeah, yeah. No, it's bad 
Let's move to the Marvel metropolis of New York to talk about Daredevil, number 131, from Marvel 1975. This is written by Marv Wolfman with art by Bob Brown and Klaus Janssen. Here's your uh, setup. With a title like, Watch Out, Daredevil, He Never Misses, you better believe. This is the first appearance of Hornhead's most deadly nemesis and the pride of Ireland's villains, Bullseye. By the way, Matt Murdock, super Irish too. Yeah, it's a twofer. Daredevil breaks up a jewelry heist by the Rocketeer gang, who has a flying rocket car that I assume they're trying to pay off because there's no way that was cheap. (laughs) Right. At this time, Matt was dating Heather Glenn, also Irish. A brunette drawn with insanely pointy breasts here. <laughs> They're like Madonna yeah, pointy. Uh, this is like the era of those like it's torpedo so looking brassiers, you know? Yeah, Be- it's very. Before Heather, Matt was briefly dating the Black Widow. Little trivia for you. Heather yeah. introduces Matt to an old woman looking to sue her landlord for poor upkeep. And Matt, of course, can't resist the downtrodden. Turns the old out, and the old woman. I I think it's important to point out that for no reason whatsoever, this old woman does look like a bog witch. Definitely, yeah. Like, like why does she look like an a, Irish bog uh, yeah, witch? I shouldn't say old woman. I should say old hag that lives in yeah. this building. <laughs> it turns out the slumlord Just shoving donuts into yeah. her face. It turns out the slumlord is Heather's dad? Question mark. Heather yeah. turns out to be kind of a drunk party girl who later on dates Tony Stark and gives up Daredevil's secret identity while drunk at a party. Oh, then she kills herself. <laughs> oh, yikes. Yeah. I didn't There's know any of that. road for Heather going forward. Meanwhile, Bullseye is extorting and killing businessmen, leaving his name and a big bullseye painted on the victim at the scene. He wants to be oh. famous, I guess. Hey, you know what? I guess the movie got it from somewhere. Yeah. Why leave a calling <laughs> card when you can just spray paint the wall? He's just point like he's got he's pointing instead he's just pointing at his forehead pretty like, much get it bullseye matt ends up at the scene of bullseye's latest murder speaking to jake conover a name i've never heard of who works at the daily bugle oh yeah he is an old bugle staffer okay way back from way back he just happens to know the origin of bullseye he tells matt that bullseye was going to be an mlb pitcher before his time as an american gi in vietnam where he learned very good at killing people by throwing things at them after that he spent time in africa perfecting these skills after leaving the bugle, DD is promptly attacked by Bullseye, who lures him to a circus so a crowd can watch Bullseye kick his ass. That's seriously the whole comic. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't know that they used to have uh, circuses at uh, Madison Square Garden. I mean, I'm sure they did. Ringling Brothers. I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know. I, I mean, it is important. I think it's. I think it's important. Maybe not important. It's the but greatest I think show on earth, Joe. They definitely did. No, it no, no. At, I, I, I think it's worth pointing out that Jacob doesn't just happen to know Bullseye's identity. Bullseye came to Jacob and said, this is my secret origin. Yeah. Pass it on. Bullseye <laughs> wants to be famous. That's his yeah, whole yeah. shebang right, right now. Reading these old DD comics always reminds me that everything I love about the character, Bullseye included, was thanks to Frank Miller. <laughs> Wolfman writes Daredevil like a more capable Spider-Man, complete with even wittier banter, like working in a Mark Twain joke here and there. Bullseye was created by Wolfman and Brown as another sort of villain of the month. And even Wolfman admits that Miller is responsible for Bullseye's fame. Here, he's basically an egotistical madman killing people to scare others into paying him off. Like, I'm going to kill this guy. So the next guy extorts can be like, I don't want to get killed. Here's the money. And you know how much money he wants? He goes to like millionaire, right? Guy that owns this massive company. And he says, pay me 
a hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> yes, he wants to be the world's first supervillain hundred thousandaire. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Brown's art is solid. He does a great job showing Bullseye at work, but some of his Daredevil poses are a, a little weird. Like, I get it. You're trying to show like he's very acrobatic and he's flying through the air, but there are scenes where it's looked like he jumps off a building sideways and flings both his arms behind his back. Yeah. <laughs> While it's a key issue and worth quite a bit, this was a time before the character had really found his voice at all. I would argue the whole book had found a voice. This is an important yeah. first appearance, but definitely not must-read Daredevil stuff. I'm giving this a skim it. You want to get the real poop on Bullseye? Go read the Frank Miller issues. That's when Bullseye gets it. Yeah. Good. It's a skim it for me. Uh, this is, like, neither one of these characters is anything like what we like about these characters. Right. Um, it's weird because we're 130 issues into Daredevil. Yeah. And Marvel obviously had not figured out what they want to do with this character yet. Like, well, I mean, or, or they did and they were just like, yeah, he's like Spider-Man, but blind. Right. Lawyer, blind. Like, yeah, sort of fights for justice, like, it, you know, like uh, on the streets right. and in the courtroom, And, the, and like, like that's, a, that's certainly a take. Like, it worked for them. Daredevil was popular. But, yeah, I guess. It's just weird. But, I mean, we're uh, so used it, to, like... It's just so strange when, like, Frank Miller comes on, uh, along and it's like, oh, this is what Daredevil could be. Well, and for 40 years, longer than that, for 50 years, probably, we have had, now about 40 years, we've had Soul Pain Daredevil. And this is the furthest thing from Soul Plane Daredevil. He's like, I'm Daredevil and I'm hopping and doing my job. Daredevil. It's no, so that's goofy and weird. That's what I'm saying. But, it's like he's been like so this, depressed but this isn't like for the, so long. But this isn't like the like grim and gritty, like, oh, everyone in my life is doomed to die terribly. No, he's Daredevil. in a great mood. No. And he's like doing, yeah. and he's just like, it's me, Daredevil, coming in for the rescue. Uh, also, Foggy, Foggy is running for district attorney, which is kind of fun. And lost. Uh, and lost, yeah. He lost. I mean, it happens. Um, it's Foggy. He's a lovely Yeah, word. no, this comic is, is, is weird. And uh, also... I'm not actually basing my ratings off of this, but like I like to, I liked to judge how Irish it, it was. Uh, and this comic is not at all Irish. No, no. These you don't even know. We don't even know that Bullseye is Irish. Right. We don't learn Bullseye's name for many years. Bullseye has no personality here at all, other than he's like, yeah. "Ha ha, I'm um, gonna be famous." Like, why is he even mad at Daredevil? I don't even know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and, and like his design, his design is cool right out of the bat, except for some reason they draw that target on his forehead to take up his entire forehead. Yeah, it comes down to his nose. It's like all it, the way instead down of to just his drawing nose. a circle on his forehead, right. it is the entire that that's. Terrible. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the design is but bad. Yeah. No, it's a skimming for me. It's it's so silly. It's so silly, but uh, it is fun to see like this weird, really happy go lucky kind of swinging 70s daredevil where he's like, yeah. it's a living. <laughs> Sometimes we blind people see things more clearly than those with sight. All right. Now don't worry. I've got a friend who can help. A very close friend. From the mean streets of New York to the sewers underneath Bialia, it's Justice League Europe number 30. It's from DC Comics 1991. It's written by somebody who I will not mention with art uh, and also Keith Giffen uh, with art by Derek Robertson. Uh, and Keith, Keith Giffen also does uh, the breakdowns, which we have tried to figure out what breakdowns are many times on the show. Google it. The price is a dollar. And here is uh, a synopsis for you. 
The five ousted members of the Justice League International traveled to Bialya under the guise of consultants to Constance de Aramis. Uh, she is also the Crimson Fox, for those of you that don't know. Convinced that the Queen Bee is behind the loss of their UN sanction and the assassination of Max Lord, they infiltrate the Dome. There, they discover the frozen forms of the Global Guardians, who have been turned into drones by the Queen Bee, complete with on-off switches. Yikes. <laughs> they are then discovered by Jack-O-Lantern, and a battle begins. Now, that's not really a thrilling synopsis. That's more of like a... Hey, fandom.com has uh, spelled out what's happening in this well, book. But that's you. also like that's this is the issue is like introducing something big and bad that happens that kicks off a fight. No, it's true. But oh, but I mean, it's not like when we say here's the solicit that right. like this was exciting ad copy written by somebody to like, you'll never believe what happens next. Oh, you know, that's it's why like, I'm calling it a setup instead of. Yeah, a setup. That's why. Yeah. Synopsis is a different way of saying setup. But yeah. Uh, full disclosure, this book was written by a sexual predator, uh, but he doesn't see any money from back issue sales or other unsavory means. So do what you must. This is chapter four of the breakdowns saga that rocked the Justice League books and made them transition from the lighthearted era we remember from the mid 80s to the more serious era of the early to mid 90s. Uh, Maxwell Lord has been shot and he lies comatose in the hospital. Uh, the setup says he was assassinated, which I, I guess maybe you can still be assassinated and live. I don't know. Uh, maybe I don't. I haven't looked that up. I don't think that's how that works. I think assassinated <laughs> means dead. But yeah, yeah. If you've been assassinated, yeah. an assassin killed you. <laughs> that's I think sort of that's the kind of the whole. Yeah, that's the whole <laughs> yeah. point. Otherwise, like, I, uh, like if an assassin beat you up, they wouldn't say you were assassinated. They'd be like, that's fair. Or, yeah. Or if an assassin, you know, winged you, you'd be like an attempted yeah, no, assassination. Again, you're, you're not. You're not wrong. <laughs> A new, uh, a new liaison has been appointed and is making cuts to the Justice League left and right. Uh, remember that this was a time where the Justice League International was essentially an arm of the United Nations. So they didn't have the autonomy they have now. Things are a lot more bureaucratic and they were subject to the whims of world leaders. Speaking of world leaders, Queen Bee is up to no good as usual. But she doesn't know that her man Jack-O-Lantern is on the take for the evil General Harjavti. Jack has taken mental control of the Global Guardians. He basically switches them on and off from time to time so he can conduct his nefarious deeds. Meanwhile, the ejected members of the League, Captain Adam, Blue Beetle, Elongated Man, Ice, and the Crimson Vox have traveled to Bialya undercover to find evidence to clear their names uh, or or something. I, I, I'm pretty sure that's what's going on. Yeah. There's some other stuff going on, but that's not really important. What really matters is the fight between the uh, Justice League and Jack-O-Lantern, which takes a surprisingly brutal turn, like, whoa, yeah. gory and weird and right. bad. In, in a book that was otherwise, like, kind of, I mean, not funny, but definitely it, lighthearted. It was not, I mean, it was not not lighthearted. Uh, Time out. Are you by, trying not to spoil The Little Mermaid's death? Yeah, go ahead. Nobody can, this book's been out for how long? We can spoil it. I know, but here. it's a shockingly brutal turn. Like, I, come on, man. I mean, I get it, but I want to talk about how a character called the Little Mermaid got her head blown off. <laughs> All right, <laughs> fine. <come> <laughs> uh, so what what happens is uh, Jack O'Lantern, uh, Jack O'Lantern of all characters, is somehow holding his own against Elongated Man. Fine, Blue Beetle. Okay, sure. Ice. Eh. I mean, Ice is pretty tough. Uh, Crimson Fox, actually, I'm not even sure she goes down there with the rest of them. Yeah. Uh, but also, Captain Adam. Yeah, Captain Adam. Come on. Captain <laughs> Adam. And, and like, 
Captain Adam is like, I don't know. He's jumping around too much. I can't get a beat on him. Let's just talk about Jack-O-Lantern for a second. And then Jack-O-Lantern zaps Captain Adam with his weird lantern thing. And Captain Adam is like, oh, no, the power. I'm succumbing to the power. I've got to get out of the way of the power. And he jumps out of the way of the power. And the beam accidentally blows the head off of the little mermaid who was frozen who is at the time frozen right. at the table this is the little mermaid from the global guardians her she her head is disintegrated and uh, and instantly the uh, everybody in the room is like Ugh. and Derek Robertson delivers some of the best facial expressions oh, yeah. of his career yeah. they're definitely all looking at a headless corpse because everybody's like they are looking Whoa. at a headless corpse so, yes they are I just want to talk about Jack Lantern for a second here yeah, okay. Jack O'Lantern. And we'll get into his Irishness because he's definitely got it. He's got the full brogue. I mean, brogue. he's Jack O'Lantern, yeah. He's got the full brogue and everything. There's a Marvel Jack O'Lantern. And the Marvel Jack O'Lantern wears a pumpkin on his head, you know? Yes. Like Jack O'Lantern. If you showed me this character and said, guess his name, I would see a guy with a blue mask on, a blue cape. He appears to be carrying a kettlebell that they list as a it does look like a kettlebell mystical lantern yeah <laughs> which it, there's nothing about this character that one looks like a jack-o'-lantern or two looks like he has a mystical lantern <laughs> like I, I, uh, I and kept, what i and like, doing the dog thing when i turn my head and look at me like what <laughs> like <laughs> this is the jack-o'-lantern <laughs> and my response to that is that you obviously don't know enough about celtic folklore because it's probably some damn celtic thing no I'll tell you all about the Celtic folklore behind the jack-o'-lantern. If you no, like, I don't want to hear about it. It's not important. <laughs> Got it right here. Comes from the legend of Stingy Jack, a drunkard who bargained with Satan and is doomed to roam the earth with only a hollowed out turnip to light his way. <laughs> okay. Oh, I mean, it, you know what? It does look like it could be a hollowed out turnip. No, it does not. It's a perfectly round ball with a handle. It is a perfectly round black ball with a handle. I'm looking at a big picture of it. Yes, right I know. Now. You, you, you said get. Now, look, if you look at the cover, it has eyes on it. It, it does have angry eyes on it. I mean, okay. And a lid. So it's a lantern. It's a lantern. Right. It's just most of the time you only see the kettlebell part. Yeah, I just didn't get this. The design is, is strange <laughs> at best. I'll say that. I'm actually not sure which version of the jack-o'-lantern this is. There have been three at least. Yeah, because there's one that I read about. So this one is Marvin Naransa, who does not sound like he's Irish to me, but, you know, no assumptions here. It says Marvin Naransa is a native of Bialia who secretly takes over the jack-o'-lantern identity at Queen Bee's behest. No, that's that's after this. Uh, I'm looking at the the first guy, Daniel Cormack. This is not Daniel Cormack. Naransa is able to use Daniel Cormack's mystical lantern only after Queen Bee modifies it. So Queen Bee helped this guy You need to look up a paragraph. The art here is by a young Derek Robertson. It's Great. Uh, It's weird to see him drawing DC characters, but I kind of love it. His facial expressions, as I said, uh, are bonkers. Uh, But he does manage to do justice to some pretty silly character designs uh, when it comes to the Global Guardians. Their costumes across the board are terrible. I found it. Jack voluntarily joined forces with the villainess, but later turned against her, was imprisoned, and secretly secretly replaced by one Marvin Naranza. And then Naranza was the one that killed little mermaid he'd been replaced at this point so there we go 
I think that's probably better because the original Jack O'Lantern was a hero and he was like a little like I, I think it's probably good that he's yes. been secretly replaced. He was tricked. And and that's why he was like, wait a minute, we're doing evil stuff? No way. And she's like, all right, screw you. I'm gonna grab this other guy. Yeah. You pre- and by the way, Naranza pretends to be Irish even when by himself, like a like a good Scooby-Doo villain would. <laughs> so- oh wow. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, I guess, yeah, he's a native of Bialya, so yeah. he'd be... and he, here yeah. he's throwing around... He'd be this, Middle Eastern, yeah. Yes, and here he's talking to himself... He looks Irish. ...in yeah. an Irish accent. <laughs> so. That's wild. Holy cow. Okay. When the issue's over, the stage is set for a showdown between the rogue heroes and the remaining members of Justice League America, a.k.a. all of the characters that you want to read about. Sure. <laughs> when you're reading a Justice League book. But that is to be continued in another comic. Uh, this is a good issue. It's full of intrigue. It handles a lot of characters really well. The dialogue for each character doesn't get lost. And everybody has their own voice. And like I said, Robertson's art's great. Uh, Breakdowns was a sprawling epic that ran through all of the League books at the time. It's a good read, but it's lengthy. And it kind of put a bullet in the head of a much happier time for these characters, much like uh, Jack O'Lantern blew the head off of a little mermaid. I was going to say, no offense, little mermaid. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what follows in the years to come isn't great. And it takes a long time before the justice league gets good again. But for now I'm giving justice league gear up number 30, a buy it. Yeah. This is a fun read. I, I think it's hilarious that this is a Middle Eastern dude that replaced an Irish dude and is just pretending to be Irish. Everyone's I like, didn't know that. I'll yeah, buy that's it. Weird. Sounds like him. I <laughs> like listen to how Irish that guy is. <laughs> uh, the design of this character is terrible. It really bad. Uh, yeah, it doesn't get. It doesn't really get better. No, and and the book is fun. It, it's fine. I don't understand why Captain Adam looks like a normal human guy and can transform. Into because he could do that. Himself. He could, he could like turn it, he could turn it on and off. That was at this time. Cause like in the book that I read when I liked Captain Adam, he couldn't, he was just always in the suit. Yeah, no, he could walk around looking normal. I don't know if it's like, I don't, like, I don't know if he's actually normal, or but like he could walk like around Ted looking Ted Cord built him something that makes him look normal or something. Yeah. Like I mean, that. I don't know the details, but yes, he could in Got fact it. turn it on and off, but yeah, I'll give it a buy it. I've always liked, uh, everything I've read from justice league Europe. It seems like such a weird team. A lot of these characters really aren't around anymore, which is unfortunate because some of them are a lot of fun. But yeah, buy it for me as well. And a comically Irish character, (laughs) definitely. Well, you know, asterisk. (laughs) Do you like the gold buckles on me shoes? I want me gold now! It's time to jump Back across the pond for the Justice League of America, baby. Number 220 from DC. The year was 1983. This is written by Roy Thomas with art by Chuck Patton and a special little nod to Marv Wolfman that we'll talk about later on. Here's your setup. It's time for a whole new origin for Black Canary because before this, she was on Earth 2 fighting Nazis with the JSA. And when she did jump over to Earth 1, that would have made her well over 60. So it was time to fix Dinah Lance and make her the young Irish songbird she needed to be. So Green Arrow wasn't dating a senior citizen. If you come into this one cold, you're not going to have any clue what's going on. Trust me. But it seems that a group of magic villains and from Earth 1 and Earth 2 teamed up and are attacking both Earths in tandem. 
Yeah, it's the wizard and Felix Faust, two very well-known villains for each team. Well, but there's like three other magic guys that show up too. (laughs) We'll get there. Uh, Those guys are heroes. Sargon the Sorcerer is helping them. I'm not talking about Sargon the Sorcerer. I'm talking about the guy with the Philosopher's Stone. There's another character. Oh, that's Dr. Alchemy, man. He's a flash rogue. He's not magic. Isn't the Philosopher's Stone a magic thing? He talks about the magic of the Philosopher's Stone. He's... It's he's Dr. Alchemy. He's he, it's it's he's not one of the sorcerers. Regardless, he's a flash rogue. Apparently, Johnny Thunder's Thunderbolt went nuts, put all of maybe Earth 2's heroes into a coma. Some of Earth 1's as well. Thomas, Roy Thomas here couldn't just say, look, there was two Dino Lances, one from Earth 1 and that was married to Larry Lance and a young one from Earth 2. Nope, that's way too easy. See, yeah, yeah, we can't we can't have that. Dino hooked up with Johnny Thunder on Earth 2 back in the golden age. And for some reason he told the thunderbolt, the only source of his powers to go kick rocks. Since he doesn't have powers without the thunderbolt, the team replaces him with black canary. And then her alter ego, Dinah Drake, a florist shacks up with private detective, Larry Lance. They have a little girl. They name her Dinah. And then the wizard from the injustice society who refers to himself as the greatest super criminal in the history of the planet put that one in <laughs> with an asterisk curses the i mean kid. you know villains have a healthy ego that's, that's part and parcel curses the kid with a voice so loud any noise she makes is deafening so of course they give the baby to the thunderbolt so he can take it to his magic world where the spell won't work also the thunderbolt made them think the baby died because quote it seemed like the right thing to do so they wouldn't suffer <laughs> That's horrible. <laughs> Meanwhile, Dinah grows up in magic Thunderbolt land until we end up here with evil Johnny holding everyone hostage. And a Dinah is in suspended animation in a glass coffin next to her hubby. From there, we get a fight with at least five different sorcerers versus members of the JSA and JLA that aren't in a coma over a sun okay. pyramid that freezes I, like, time. I mean, none of I this is important. Not, none of this is important. <laughs> look, I know you're not really a huge DC guy, but these are not just random characters. This is the Fiddler. It's Kronos. Like, these are well-known DC villains. I had no idea who some of them were. I yeah, no the, Fiddler, the, the Fiddler and the Wizard are from Earth 2. Kronos and Felix Faust are from Earth 1. Oh, Icicle is from Earth 2. It's not even important. Uh, We're talking about Dinah here. We're focusing on Dinah because this is the I know, important but part. Like, I'm just saying, it's not like uh, this, te- it's not like all-out sorcerer's war. It's like, no, they got some heavies to do their dirty work for them. The JSA wins, but Earth 2 Dinah is exposed to cosmic energy that's killing her. So... Why not have little Dinah take her place and we'll wipe her mind and make her think she's the other Dinah or Dinah was the little girl and thought she was her mother and thereby worst case scenario is in love and doing it with her dad, which led me to the question. Well, wait a minute. Did she get herself pregnant with her own dad? Joe assures me this did not happen. No, but (laughs) the road to get to this is so bizarre. (laughs) There's a lot to unpack with this black canary origin fix for sure. And the choices Thomas took led to some interesting questions. (laughs) I, okay. You wiped the kid's mind made her think she was the Dino Lance from Earth 2, but younger, and sent her to Earth 1. Got it. So she absolutely remembers being in love with and having sex with her dad. That's where we're at. That part is true. Yeah, like that, <laughs> yeah. that, that, that I'm saying is canon. Yes. That is horrifying. <laughs> 
This was an even larger cast of characters than any of the Legion stuff Joe has made me read. There were so many characters here. Not only was there a new ridiculous origin for Dinah, but Thomas went as far as to tie up some Golden Age plots, bring some old characters into the modern DCU, fight off an army of magic bad guys that I've never heard of. Joe assures me they're heavy hitters. And then even sends out a thanks to Marv Wolfman for giving him this idea on how to de-age the Black Canary. And I have to applaud the stones on both these gentlemen, or maybe their short-sightedness at not really thinking this through. I'm giving it a buy it. You are confused about some of the events of this book, and I don't blame you because there are some flashbacks here that are very poorly transitioned into and out of. Yeah, like it could be. I, uh, some it, of that was like and, Golden Age it, stuff, right? Yes. Well, no. Um, it's, it's we're not really seeing any Golden Age stuff other than the mention of her romancing Johnny Thunder. Um, what we're getting, uh, the bulk of the flashbacks come from um, her journey from Earth 2 to Earth 1 in Justice League of America number 74. That's where we found out. I guess it wasn't really a secret because it was she was it was that way from the jump in pre-crisis. But for old guys like you and me that may only know Black Canary from her newer incarnations, that is the comic book where it was revealed that the Black Canary of the Justice League is the same Black Canary as the one from the Justice Society, and she is actually an immigrant from another universe. And when you were telling me about this comic, in my memory, I I was mistaking it for DC Comics Presents number 30, which came out a couple of years prior to this. Right. That comic was the first comic that ever taught me about Earth 2. And it was uh, Black Canary coming to Superman saying, hey, look, I'm having dreams of my dead husband, but I don't think they're dreams. I think something's up. That's where I learned about Earth 2 and the origin of the original Black Canary, or so I thought. Gotcha. Then I read this comic. And you were wrong. <laughs> and all of that is all of that is in here. They mention Aquarius. Right. They mention, you right. know, how she came from Earth 1 to Earth 2. Now we find out, oh, there are two Dinah Drakes or Dinah Lances after all. One is the daughter of the other and has been in suspended animation in it, this whole time. That would have been good enough. Yeah. They could have gotten us to the end of that book, freed her from her cocoon. Yes. All is well that ends well. Mom Yay, dies. Now we have two I love you. Canaries. I love you, sweetie. Go be yeah. here on the other planet. Or, or I'm, I'm taking, I'm taking your place in the Thunderbolt dimension so that you can live. Whatever. whatever. Yeah. Whatever. No. Instead, we lied about that thing about uh, lying about your baby. Right. We actually double lied, and uh, the person in the coma in the cocoon is your mom. And you are the daughter. Right. But we thought it would be best to not remove the memories of Larry, <laughs> which means with your dad. <laughs> if she thought that she was her own mother this entire time oh, and she thought that she was married to her own dad. Yeah. And you can draw your own conclusions from there. She also has memories right. of her ex-boyfriend who was mom's boyfriend. Johnny <laughs> Thunder. Right. right. <laughs> uh, yeah. Which, yeah. So, I mean, I guess theoretically she's got, uh, she is, has got a roll of, uh, she has got like an encyclopedia Britannica of her mom's entire love life yep. in that noggin of hers, which there. has got to be disgusting. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I, I don't I, I can't imagine I can't fathom that's the direction they would go in. Why? Because Why? Marv Wolfman I, 
gave him the idea. <laughs> he even says, like at the end, he's like, "Thanks, Marv Wolfman, for the idea. What a great way to fix this." Nah, like, you guys, dumb, it's so dumb. <laughs> you it, guys, like no, I, I, I just, <sighs> yeah. If you think about this for thirty seconds, like because when it happened, and I was like, I don't totally understand what's going on here. And then I was like, I think I understand what's going on here. And then I immediately went, "Ooh," <laughs> you know, like instantly. Yeah. It's just like, wait a minute. Like, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a bit like the art is great. I like Chuck Patton. He's a name that I'm not super duper familiar with. Yeah, Didn't he also draw that Daredevil issue? No, that was Bob Brown. Uh, so, but different guy. Um, yeah, the art is great here. It's very kind of Perez-ish. Uh, this is kind of right around the time or right after the time that Perez had a, a, a pretty great run on, on JLA. Uh, so it's very right in line with that Perez style. And it's really well done. Um, for DC novices, the villains that help the wizard and... Felix Faust, they are classic DC villains from Earth 1 and Earth 2, Kronos, Icicle, The Fiddler, et cetera, et cetera. So Felix um, Faust was the only name I recognized because he popped up in like Jeff John's JSA stuff. Well, but so did all the other classic JSA characters. The Fid like I mean, the I guess Fiddler they has been different. In, the Fiddler has shown up in the flat. Like, yes, you're just you just don't pay attention. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> it's true. I don't uh, like, remember I'll a guy with I'll, a magic fiddle that makes people dance. Uh, now, look, <laughs> I'll grant you the wizard is a deep cut, but like a lot of the like icicle, you know the, who icicle I know is. Who he's in the J. Yeah. He's in the Injustice League. But I didn't think Icicle was one of the magic guys. Like I was just like, he, they're not magic. There's only two magic guys. All right. What? Are the, okay. Fine. Alchemy is technically magic, Joe. But he's not one of the magic guys in charge, is what I'm saying. Fair enough. Uh, it, look, I, I don't know why you gave this a buy it. This story is nonsense. It's nonsense. <laughs> it's not even nonsense in a fun way. Like I by just, the time I finished it, I was angry. The balls on this comic book. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, it's a skim it. I'm giving it a skim it because the art is good, and because it is a key issue for the character. But like, you know whose origin is complicated? Hawkman. Yeah, it's not. Let's make it as complicated as we possibly can. In an effort to improve it. That's what they've done. That's what they've done here. Yeah, exactly. Like Hawkman's origins is weird because it jumped around so much. Like, well, that didn't count. Don't pay attention to that. This counts. That yeah, pre-crisis. This is yeah, like, yeah. we got to fix. This fixes everything. And all you had to do, like we said, we we just you had to fix. fix. We had it. And they went, yeah, that's not easy enough. <laughs> like, look, they, look, this is my final. This is my final word on it. They thought we'd be fine believing there was an Earth One Johnny Thunder who was evil. Right. Why couldn't they just give us an Earth One Dinah Drake? That's what I'm saying. Just say there's two. Done. <laughs> it's it's just the dumbest shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, that's a skim it. I'm, I, it's almost a leave it. I was so mad. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it is my pleasure to present to you what might be the most Irish comic book ever written. I don't think there's a doubt. <laughs> I couldn't believe it how is. Irish it's this was. It, it's got an it's it's got a it's got a completely Irish creative team as well, oh, which yeah. I don't even think was an accident. Nope. It's Guardians of the Galaxy Annual Number Three from Marvel Comics. The year was 1993. It's written by Michael Gallagher with art by Colleen Doran. It's 2.95. It's an annual. It's very thick. Very thick. Here's your setup. The Guardians must obtain the mystical book of Kells due to its ability to create a new beginning for Earth's citizens. Okay. The only thing in their way? Cuculin, the Irish wolfhound. It's Cuculin, colon, the Irish wolfhound. Yeah. And Shamrock. Cuculin is the same character. Yes. One can assume the luck of the Irish will be working against the Guardians. Uh, in this year, 
1993, Marvel decided to introduce a brand new character in each of their annuals, very much like DC did with their Bloodlines annuals. I feel like Bloodlines may have been the year before or the year after. It may have been the same year. I actually don't know. Just a quick Fact way to check find- real fast. And much like DC, the result is a bunch of characters we will never, ever hear from again. 1993, uh, Bloodlines. Same oh, year. same year. Same All right. Year. It's the exact same year. Both companies were like, new characters for everybody. The result is a bunch of characters we will never, ever hear from again, a bunch of characters we never, ever want to hear from again, and a very few that actually stick around, like your your hitmans and whatnot. Some that were so embarrassingly bad, I bet creators got fired. <laughs> so- <laughs> yeah, 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 correct. I think you're uh, – Adam X the Extreme, hey – was he one of those? I think he was. Yeah, 1993. X-Force <laughs> Annual, 1993. That's it. Wow. Yeah. Adam X the Extreme. Yeah. I guess the the probably <laughs> the most well-known character from the Marvel side of this experiment. Uh, one that does not stick around is the Irish wolfhound, real name, Cucullin, the greatest warrior in all of Irish folklore. Now, I did have to Google the pronunciation of that name, and so now I will be using it as often as I possibly can because I'm proud that I can say it. You don't want to call him Cuckchulane <laughs> because it's spelled it's it's spelled Cuckchulane. Yeah. yeah, it's Cuckullen. Naturally, he is a great fit for a story set in the far future. Sure, but, but that's not all. This issue also features Shamrock, perhaps the most comically Irish character in Marvel Comics history that does not have the word Irish in her name. Recapping the story of the Guardians up until this point will be a monumental task requiring flowcharts and expert assistance from visiting Professor Aura McWilliams. To boil it down as simply as possible, Earth is still recovering from an alien invasion. Uh, in, in fact, they've been invaded uh, twice, once by the Badoon and once by, pardon me, once by the Martians in the early 2000s and once by the Badoon closer to the Guardians time. The Guardians are instrumental to that recovery, and now they are on the trail of the Book of Kells, an ancient tome that is shockingly biblical for a child's comic book. Uh, You can look up more about that Book of Kells if you want to. I'm sure it's got some sort of basis in folklore. I'm not going to get into it. The Guardians at this point include the originals, Vance Astro, a.k.a. Major Victory, Nikki, Starhawk, Charlie 27, and new members, Yellow Jacket and Talon, Again, it would take too much time to explain the deal with these two new characters. So Google it, kids. But Talon, I kept calling Sorcerer Puppy Man. <laughs> so he is a he is an inhuman. Uh, I, now that I'm re- recalling, he is an inhuman. He's he looks a like a dog face boy. <laughs> he looks like Jojo the dog face boy, and he is in training to become the new Sorcerer Supreme. Uh, yellow Jacket is actually the second Yellow Jacket uh, from the, the present day Earth who. Uh, hitched a ride with the guardians to live out her days in the future there i guess it wasn't that too it wasn't too complicated yeah, there you to go. uh the president uh who may or may not be vance's girlfriend it's unclear uh is sending the guardians after the book and working alongside her is no joke vice president old red <laughs> that is his name yeah. old red yeah. and red is with two d's you know it is yep We get a quick appearance from Mainframe, who is the far future version of the Vision. He's just kind of like become a computer network now. And also Hollywood, who is the immortal Simon Williams, a.k.a. Wonder Man. That dude is immortal. We can tell he's old because he's got a beard. Got a beard and he's white hair. There you go. Luckily, this annual is interminably long, so it does a lot of the recapping that I will not. Uh, The Guardians find themselves in Newgrange, Ireland at a site built before Stonehenge. Uh, That's where they encounter the Irish Wolfhound, the greatest warrior of all time, 
They keep saying it. It must be true. And his great spear, Gatorbolg, which my uh, autocorrect translated to guy bug, it's, it, but it's Gaybolg, G-A-E-B-O-L-G. Which he loves to yell about, and it doesn't sound very tough when you yell it. <laughs> yeah, my spear, Gaybolg. Gaybolg. Yeah, no. <laughs> like, all right. <laughs> uh, Shamrock joins the fight, and it's all quickly discovered to be a great misunderstanding, as all superhero fights tend sure, to be. Sure, sure. Uh, there's just a whole lot of talking after that as Shamrock explains her entire history, which includes Oof. evil Republicans, yep. uh, Irish ghosts. I guess they're Irish. They might be all Earth ghosts, but I'm pretty sure they're just Irish ghosts. I think they're Irish ghosts. Yeah, for the most part. Uh, Arnim Zola and the Contest of Champions. Again, Google it. That's where she made her first appearance. Her first appearance was in Contest of Champions. The only reason I didn't pick that is because I knew it would just be, and here's Shamrock. Right. Anyway, it moving was, on. It was like the world heroes. They named a bunch of like Native yeah, American right. guy. Shamrock. Yeah. The <laughs> Arabian know? Knight. Yeah. That's like racist name from uh, right. Saudi Arabia. Racist yeah. name from Ireland. Yeah, it's right. Yeah. She's Irish. So naturally she has luck manipulation powers. She wears a bright green onesie with a shamrock on the chest. Not a four leaf clover. It's just a, just, just a, just clover shamrock yeah but four leaf clover is the lucky one so more recapping more recapping more recapping dr druid shows up uh who matt in fact informs me is irish also which i doubt irish I, you know what i refuse to believe it <laughs> but okay is. uh finally we hear about the book on and on it goes like this it never ends finally we get a villain sam hain the aforementioned sam hain super which irish. apparently is pronounced Sowween. yep it's correct Okay, I don't know. He proves to be no match for a millennia of angry ghosts living within Shamrock, which, to be fair, sounds pretty badass. Gaelic, bro. Gaelic is weird. Just I, I know, I get it. it. <laughs> Even after the conflict is over, there's still more talking and more explaining. I just, this book took me like three tries. Uh, I will say this. The art from Colleen Doran is pretty good. Now, it's not traditional superhero art. You may not be into it, but Colleen Dorn is a very good artist. She's very good at what she does. It's just not, it's just a weird fit. It's a weird fit for the Guardians of the Galaxy. It definitely is. It definitely is. And honestly, the only thing that bothered me was Puppy Kid. She can't draw like the dog face boy. She's, that, yeah, he's that got was a the pup. one I thing mean, she had look, trouble with. Look, it, to be fair, like every other artist draws him the exact same. He's got a puppy face. He's always puppy face sorcerer boy. <laughs> That's well, He's got a dog face. Right. Yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy annual number three was almost too Irish. Oh, and I still haven't recovered. Uh, I have to give this one. I'll leave it. It's it's just too much. I hate it's too it. much. Yeah, I hated this. It sucked. It's <laughs> so bad. I hated this. This sucked. And it is the dumbest idea. And uh, like why we had to get like down in Irish with the Guardians of the I don't Galaxy. Under, I, like I really don't It doesn't get make it. any sense. You forgot to mention that the only reason that Chichulian is here is because yeah. Dr. Druid's last act on Earth was to on summon Earth. him to protect Ireland. <laughs> Yeah, that's how Irish Dr. Druid was. Yeah, I hated this. This is a leave it. This is where exactly where I go when I make fun of this time of the Guardians of the Galaxy. This is exactly where I go. Okay, but, but here's the thing. Is I've like, read this, this before, this, but this is what I thought it would be like. <laughs> like this book, Jim Valentino, I'm almost certain Jim Valentino wrote that comic from start to finish. Like... So I'm not sure who Michael Gallagher is. And I look, God bless him for his Irish as 
fucking hell. His, I'll tell you that. His Gaelic, <laughs> like his Gaelic, he's 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 waving that Gaelic flag, and God love him for oh it. Oh my God, they're right. But they're why is this book? Why is this the book? Yeah, Cooklands running around by the red branch like the entire time, which I assume is yeah. some Irish thing. And he's like, Oh, what are you, a will o' the wisp? You've got flaming hair, and look, you must be some type of druidist fairy. Like I get it. All you know yeah, is right. Ireland, bro. <laughs> like, yeah, and and it's like, look, okay, so he's more Irish than friggin' Shamrock. Is. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I I actually did kind of like Shamrock's role in the book. Like, I liked the idea that um, you know she never wanted to be a hero. She she kind of was forced into being a hero, and then her dad tried to mess her up real bad. And that was in that Marvel Comics Presents story, which I also could have picked but didn't because it was already only like 10 pages long. Uh, that's I the Arnold Zola story. That. I would have much rather I know, read I that. probably would have too. <laughs> um, but uh, it was only like 10 pages long and then the rest of it was Marvel Comics Presents stuff. But I, I, like, I liked the idea that where like she never wanted to be a hero, but the voices of the dead wouldn't let her stop, right? Like Earth is being invaded sure. and people are dying and the voices of the dead wouldn't let her stop. So she rose up. And she fought alongside Earth's heroes. She became one of Earth's greatest heroes. And then uh, she disappeared. Neat. This comic sucks. All right. No, this comic is bad. This Let's comic see. is bad. And uh, like, apologies to everyone involved, but it's terrible. It's terrible. The comic I'm about to review happens one year after this. Keep that in mind, all right? This is Green Lantern, Volume 3, <laughs> number 51. It's DC, 1994, okay? This is written by Ron Mars with art by Daryl Banks. Here's your setup. Kyle Rayner. So I don't think the problem was the 90s, though, Matt. No. The, the, the comic book we just read, read like it came out of 1981. It was so bizarre oh, and bad is what I'm saying. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Right? Yes. Here's your setup. Kyle Rayner, a young Irish, good-looking graphic designer living in L.A., has just become the new Green Lantern of Sector 2814 after the conclusion of Emerald Twilight. I'm not going to go into what happened. It was a whole thing. Last Google it, kids. It's my new catchphrase. Last issue, Ganthet showed up and handed him a ring after Hal didn't die yet. He took off at this point. He dies right before issue 81, yes. so we're okay. talking almost three years from now. The good news is... He's back together with his news photographer girlfriend, Alex, who will later get strangled by major force and stuffed in a fridge. <laughs> yep. And she plans to make some money shooting him, fighting villain, fighting a villain named Ohm, wearing a stolen suit from Star Labs with electrical powers. The bad news, Kyle doesn't know he's the last Green Lantern. He barely knows what he's doing. Everyone thinks he's Hal Jordan, so he's got to change his costume. Oh, and Mongols just escaped from the slab. <laughs> How they got Mongol in the slab? I'd like to see that story. <laughs> you don't uh, put a well, guy Hal, like Mongol in a prison <laughs> on well, Earth, right? <laughs> I mean, so the slab, the slab is for. I get it, Mongol Joe, Mongol. We're talking cosmic entity, like badass. Co okay, Mongol is not a cosmic entity for one thing. Well, He's just very strong. He's like Superman strong, right? Yeah, but there are other Superman strong type guys in the slab. All right, fair enough. I'll allow it. Whatever. Daryl Banks. What the slab, that's what the slab is for. Okay. Daryl Banks wasn't a name I recognized for some reason, and I own this whole Kyle Rayner run. He had just come on the book with issue 50 and would be there until Green Lantern 140. That is a haul. Clear through the Judd Winnick run that I love so much. 
Banks has a style that doesn't look like anyone else on the stands at the time. He still gave the book a very sci-fi Green Lantern feel, though. And I'm sure fans hated his redesign of the Green Lantern uniform at the time. I'm sure fans of the 90s hated his redesign of the Green Lantern uniform. I loved it, personally. I don't think I ever read Green Lantern before this comic, and I picked it up off the stands for the cover featuring Kyle and his new look alone. Mars, oh, you're right. He drew, he drew most of the issues yeah. from 50 through 142. Yeah, a huge chunk of them. Mars, uh, there were a lot of villains, yeah. but yeah, it's but that's fair. Mars had also just come on as a GL writer with issue 48, which was the first part of Emerald Twilight. So he was, quote, the guy who ruined Hal Jordan at the time. <laughs> this would spawn mm-hmm. the first group of toxic fandom that I can remember calling themselves Heat. Hal's Emerald Advancement Team. Now, now, point of order. Originally, they were called Hal's Emerald Attack Team, and they were borderline uh, harassers. Well, they threatened Mars's life. He talks yeah, all yeah. about it. No, they, they were. were they yeah, it was kill bad. him. They wanted uh, him they, fired. They, they wanted his family on the street. Like they, they were like, screw this guy. It was bad. It was very bad. Yeah. They were mad as hell and they demanded Hal back. But at the time, Green Lantern was not selling well. And the Kyle Rayner experiment paid off big time with a young ring slinger making the book seem more accessible to nerds like me who knew nothing about the Green Lantern mythos. I love Kyle Rayner. He was mine Green Lantern in the 90s. Don't get me wrong. I loved it when Jeff Johns brought Hal back. It was great. But Kyle, still my favorite. I'm giving this a buy it. Yeah, this run's great. Uh, I, I Like I, I had read, I was a DC kid, obviously, uh, growing up. I had some exposure to Green Lantern, uh, but this is where I started to actually pay attention to Green Lantern's ongoing adventures. Yeah. Um, I love this run. I love this entire run. Um, well, and even the previous creators admit like, look, we, we weren't doing much. We didn't really know what to do. Yeah. We were kind of spinning uh, our wheels. I mean, again, previous creator. Uh, that sex, that sex pest that I mentioned earlier oh, was the guy, guy that wrote all those books. Yeah, I, I, yeah it's totally. the same guy. Yeah, like if you like if those idiots that blamed Ron Mars for this, like if they don't think that DC hired him specifically to replace Hal, Hal Jordan, this was they a, are they're fooling themselves. Yeah, it was an editorial decision. Hard, of course it was. Yeah, because like, like Ron um, Mars didn't show up. Me like, hey folks, I've got an idea. Let's kill Hal Jordan. They've been like, you're nobody. No, <laughs> get right. out of here. <laughs> right now, Ron Mars did you know stuff Kyle's girlfriend in a refrigerator. Well, that was that's a whole different. Was different. Uh, but yeah, I, I love this run. Uh, you know, I even love the design. I like the crab mask. Yeah, it's man. all, it's very goofy. It's cool as hell. Um, the whole idea of Kyle being a hero that was just like, I guess you'll do. That's mm-hmm. like, that's literally what Gantt says to him. Yeah. I guess you'll do. Like he doesn't have time to find anybody else. He's like, there, yeah. take it. I mean, later they were, later they would reveal that blah, like to make Kyle special, blah, blah, blah. They, they like, they massaged that that first story to make it sound like Gantt actually chose him, right. et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, no, at first it's just like, no, Kyle was there. Yeah. Kyle was there. Gantt had to go. And so that's how he got the ring and he, there's nobody around to help him work it. And so everything Kyle accomplished prior to like him meeting, you know, Alan Scott or Jade or anybody who even comes close to a green lantern, John Stewart, he did all that on his own. Yeah. 
like Kyle is a self-made hero and yeah, I love it. Uh, this is a buy it. I love Daryl Banks as well. Daryl Banks. So good. I loved this. Story. So good. I wish like he kind of went away, like he still draws. And like, I know that he has done comics, um, but he, he stopped getting high profile work. And that's a shame because he's always been to me, one of uh, a, a bright spot in, in nineties DC. Yeah. I bought an original page of his art from this run. I love him. You know, Matt, if there was a pick from this week that I thought was going to take home the prize for being the most comically Irish, it would have been this one. <laughs> See, you got to go back in time to get the real one. I don't know, like, yeah, yes. And you know what? And we'll 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 get into that. Uh, this is, of course, Generation X number twenty-five from Marvel Comics. It's nineteen ninety-seven. It's written by Scott Lobdell with art by Chris Bacalo. It's two ninety-nine on the cover. Here's your setup. Mondo betrays Generation X. He's been secretly working for Black Tom Cassidy, analyzing the team's weaknesses and allowing Black Tom the opportunity to take them all down in one fell swoop. Black Tom attacks the Xavier School and begins brutalizing Sean Cassidy with his new elemental plant-like powers. He wants revenge upon Sean for taking his niece Teresa away from him. He believes that the surest way to satisfy his goals is by slaughtering Sean's, Sean's young charges. The students and wards at the school. Again, I, I just want to remind you uh, for future reference that I plugged that in after I wrote my review. So that's going to be comically apparent here in a minute. This is the culmination of the run by Scott Labdell and Chris Bacalo. As with many cosmic long box picks, this one begins mid story or rather at the end of one. For a couple of years now, there's been a mystery brewing with Gateway, the White Queen's Massachusetts Academy, and the mysterious student named Mondo. It turns out that Mondo was actually evil all along, or maybe he was being controlled. I don't really remember. <laughs> He's working for Black Tom, right? That's certainly how it works, how it looks. Black Tom seems to be using this to his advantage because he now also has some sort of wood powers, which... We know uh, it's common now, but uh, this was kind of new for Black Tom back in the day. So, yeah, Sean Cassidy's evil cousin, Black Tom, is the villain pulling the strings here. And uh, he has kidnapped Generation X and taken over the Massachusetts branch of Xavier's school for gifted youngsters for himself. It seems like a weird plan. I don't know who would enroll there. There are a lot of subplots going on. It does not matter, but I will give a shout out to Operation Zero Tolerance, which is a storyline I really remember enjoying. And this itch, this issue and this issue sets up Generation X as part of it for future installments. Uh, backing up a bit, Generation X revolves around the adventures of the students of the Xavier's School for Gifted Youngsters, which is formerly known as the White Queen's Massachusetts Academy. Uh, when, Chuck Ed, when Chuck Xavier renamed his place the Xavier Institute for Higher Learning, Sean Banshee Cassidy and Emma White Queen Frost teamed up to reopen her school as a place for younger students to go and learn how to control their mutant abilities. It's uh, as with all X-Men books like the original X-Men and the New Mutants, everything went great from day one. Sure. No problem. Uh, at this point in the story, Artie and Leach have joined the student body and Franklin Richards and Howard the Duck and Howard's girlfriend Beverly are visiting. Uh, it's fun. Uh, there's also an alien present. Uh, she's a, a Rigelian recorder. I don't remember why. Again, it does not matter. 
this spins off into its own miniseries, uh, but we do get some fun interactions between the kids and Black Tom. Scott Liddell's dialogue is right out of the Chris Claremont playbook. It's very phonetic. It's full of yays and yees and kennas and dinners and it's it's as Irish. It's as it's spelled the way it sounds, oh, as yeah. they say. They want you to uh, you read could, the accent. Definitely. Right. They wanted you to know. Uh, you couldn't miss these accents if you tried. And yet, for a Banshee and Black Tom-focused story, this issue is very light on what we typically get from these two, which are ancient family keeps, literal leprechauns, et cetera, et cetera. Though the White Queen does have a weird green butler or chauffeur. I'm not sure what that is. I'm not sure what his deal is all yeah, about. I don't know. Do you remember that? Blumpkin? I don't know. No, I think it was just something Chris Bacolo liked to draw. <laughs> I, yeah. You know, like he, he just loved. There are also lizards all dudes. over the place in all of his yeah, books. Yeah, it's so, true. It's know. it's true. Just go with it. The story is pretty straightforward. Labdell makes it pretty clear that uh, what has led to this issue's events and only the subplots are a mystery, but that's what subplots are for. Chris Bacalo's art is absolutely breathtaking. He was good 20 years ago. He's gotten better with age. He is truly a remarkable talent. Generation X 25 uh, is kind of where the book started to lose its luster. After this issue, new creators step in, and it was just a good place to kind of step out. Not that I did, mind you. I rode this train all the way to the end because I felt like I needed to be punished. Same here. But as uh, there are some truly terrible Generation X comics coming after this, let me tell you. But as far as 90s X-Men comics go, you really can't go wrong with the first two years of Generation X. This is a huge buy it. It's really good. Yeah, I, I love this Generation X run. It was wonderful. Scott Lobdell and Chris Bocklow together, absolutely wonderful. I loved Banshee running the team as well. It's so cool because it gave that character something to do. And for some yes. reason, Banshee is one of the only characters that I will completely forgive this shit with. And I don't know why his name is even Sean Cassidy. He's named after a famous, like it, Irish singer. They made him as Irish. All right, as this Irish predates the be. Partridge family. <laughs> Does Banshee, Banshee predate? Banshee predates the, the Partridge family. Yeah. He okay. was introduced in the 60s. So they probably just chose a very Irish sounding name. I'll bet the original Sean Cassidy's name is not Sean Cassidy. It's probably like Ricky Horkenmeyer or something. Yeah. I <laughs> think know? that's probably true. <laughs> But for some reason, I always forgave Sean Casty for talking like that. It didn't bother me at all. When Wolvesbane really got into her Scottish shit, that blew me. I just like, ugh, I can't hang with this. <laughs> but yeah, this is a huge buy it. This run is so much fun. And I really miss it. Reading this really made me miss that old school Westchester, you know, school of mutants and stuff like that. I really do miss that. We'll get it back sooner or later. I'm sure we're still in the island for now. Let's finish things off with the most Irish Ant-Man ever, the irredeemable Ant-Man, number one from Marvel 2006. This is written by Robert Kirkman with art by Phil Hester. Yes, that Robert Kirkman. Special thanks to the eternal memory of the Diamond Retailer Database. Here is your solicit, not a setup. Introducing the world's worst superhero. When a low-level S.H.I.E.L.D. agent gets a hold of Hank Pym's new Ant-Man suit, you know the Marvel Universe is in trouble. He's not concerned with saving the world or helping others. He's concerned with getting through the day and getting a leg up on life. He's not going to use his powers responsibly. He's going to use them for the betterment of himself. He's the new Ant-Man, a new hero for the modern world. 
Back in 2006, Kirkman was hot. Walking Dead was a comic hit. The TV show was not even an idea at this point, but he was hot. And when it was announced he was going to Marvel to write Ant-Man, people paid attention. This was way before any Ant-Man movie news was even a rumor. So Marvel had nothing to lose. Also, it wasn't about Scott Lang or Hank Pym. This is the story of an Irish kid who got an entry-level position at S.H.I.E.L.D. named Eric O'Grady. I don't remember loving this comic the first time I read it, but I really, I did like it a lot more upon my revisit. Kirkman writes the book as an introduction to Eric O'Grady, the person, not the Ant-Man, and it really works. It's probably a little silly to think they hire idiots like Eric to work on the S.H.I.E.L.D. helicarrier, but those things are always falling out of the sky after they screw something up or turn out to be run by Hydra anyway. So, Hester's art is excellent. I had already been a fan of his at this point, but he and longtime collaborator anchor Andy Parks looked even better than I had seen them in a while. Hester's helicarrier is great from the giant splash page of the outside to the Kirby-esque tech in Pym's lab. I'm not sure if this comic was marketed well at the time or even the more famous Ant-Man wasn't hot enough to sustain his own book, so replacing him with a new character may have been suicide, but this series would be canceled with issue 12. I don't remember the last time we saw O'Grady either, for that matter. He is going to pop up. He's evil now. 60th anniversary stuff. Oh, is he evil now? Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Yeah, he is now called Black Ant, and he was last seen in, I uh, believe... Uh, he was in that Craven the Hunter storyline in, in Amazing Spider-Man, uh, Hunted. I think he's been seen since then. Okay, I didn't know that was even him, honestly. I uh, just thought there was he, a black they ant. May, he, somebody else might be black ant now, but yeah, no, he turned he turned into a bad Was guy. it like a mystery and then we found out it was him? No, I just, I think it was just like, you know what? I've always been bad. I, I've never been a hero. I've always been bad. I'm a bad guy. Okay, regardless. I might have to yeah. revisit this series before the 60th anniversary stuff that's about to hit. I'm giving this a buy it. It was a lot of fun. Poor uh, Kirkman. There's a bunch of interviews out there about his time at Marvel. He did not have a lot of fun because he no. butted heads with Joe Casada pretty hardcore. And Joe Casada, like sort of answered these interviews by saying like, look, I get it. The kid was really hot at image comics at the time. You know how many comics he was selling at image comics? About 5,000. You know how many comics I was selling at Marvel at the time? A lot more than that. <laughs> At the time, yeah. I mean, this is before Walking Dead's on television. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a different time for Kirkman. I, uh, okay, so first off, right out of the bat, I am going to just flat out deny your assertion that they are hirelings. That's not how S.H.I.E.L.D. works. Okay, They're fine. government agents. He worked his way up through the government agencies they to are, get a job as a S.H.I.E.L.D. carrier, and he's an idiot. <laughs> yes, yes. They are low-level They are low level S.H.I.E.L.D. agents, and he does not seem to have any interest in going up the ranks, unlike his friend, who actually wants to become like a, a good S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. Right. Uh, something I didn't remember is that Eric O'Grady is not actually in the suit when we first see the irredeemable ant-man it's kind of like a mistaken identity thing or rather it's a a, a red herring like uh the friend gets the suit at first and then he when he's stuck at tiny size he sees eric throwing him under the bus in front of his girlfriend and that's when he realizes that eric his supposed best friend is a real shit yeah he was jealous because he was dating this girl and it, yeah he, he was dating the girl and he, he, had and he talks on. to her yeah. and she's like have you seen him he's like no he's like i know you guys are dating he told me he was dating what's her head and on the armory and just 
Yeah. A a fun little connection is that this takes place uh, not long after Enemy of the State, the Wolverine storyline, the hand brainwash Wolverine, and he uh, runs rampant through the shield helicarrier, massacring people left and right. And so everybody on the helicarrier is like real jumpy about it. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's fun. Uh, I, I really like this. I, I guess I don't remember my reaction to it, but, uh, I loved this. I loved this. And of course, Phil Hester can do no wrong for me. Uh, this is a huge buy. It's yeah, really good. It just didn't do much for me back in the day. I, I think I just didn't care about Ant-Man a whole lot. I, I, mean, like, I mean, this is funny, Ant-Man, like Hank Pym wasn't really doing Ant-Man type stuff around this time. 2006, uh, was this like Avengers disassembled? 2006, this is the year before Civil War. So I think New Avengers is probably already going on at this time. Okay. Um, yeah. So I think the Avengers right. have already been disassembled. Hank Pym is not really Ant-Man or Yellow Jacket anymore at the time. So he's removed from that life. Ant-Man's right. not really a thing at the moment. Right. Um, and like, oh, uh, and Scott Lang had, had died not long before this. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's, uh, they're like, yeah, new Ant-Man. And, uh, Scott Lang was disassembled uh, as I recall. <laughs> Scott Lang had been disassembled. Yeah. That's, that's what happened. But yeah, this is a buy it for me. I really, really like it. If you want to know more about these comics, check out our show notes where you can find links for all the books we discussed. And if you want to read along with THN, you can find each episode's review list on Twitter and Facebook weekly on Tuesdays. But Matt, before we dig into our corn, beef and cabbage, we need to bag and board one of these comics for its own protection to enter the THN permanent collection. What's it going to be? So I'm going to do... Uh, uh, two things here. First, I'm going to give out an award for the most Irish character that ever Irished in Ireland, and that is absolutely Chuchulian or Cuchulain or whatever the hell his name is. Cuchulain. <laughs> that yeah. guy wins big time. That book can go to hell. Uh, my favorite book that we read was Revisiting Green Lantern. It was revisiting the first, like, real seeing Kyle be Green Lantern again. So Green Lantern 51 is going in the permanent collection for me. Is he the most Irish? No, but he's a good-looking young Irish guy. You know, black hair, blue eyes, he's got it going on. Yeah, 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 for sure. Uh, I mean, I, I mean, a couple of your picks, which I guess is kind of the point, right? Yeah, because that's we drew the line between like characters we didn't know were Irish and characters that are so Irish it hurts. Right. And uh, so half the half of these characters, like you don't even hear anything about the, uh, them being Irish. No, they just happen <laughs> to be uh, Irish, <laughs> right? Yeah, so definitely the most Irish thing we 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 did this week was Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh. So Shamrock and Kukulin, congratulations, you did it. Um, my book We're of the week. Throw that into the dyed green river. <laughs> call, yeah, it, right. call it good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, Danny um, boy, I'm, the pipes, the pipes are calling. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna give it to Green Lantern. Like if if I if I had to pick one, it would be Green Lantern. Yeah, like I just don't think that this irredeemable Ant-Man book like left like a, this mark that like, oh, you got to go read this. Like, I really don't give a crap about the character. No, but that's so not great. really, the, that's not really what this is, right? No, it's our favorite thing we read favorite. this week. Yeah. But that is why uh, I wouldn't pick it, is what I'm saying. And yeah, and so if you were to tell me, look, I had to pick, if I, if I could only read one, it would be Green Leader. Time to head up the teach and sanctum sanctorum to sober up a bit with the aid of some freshly brewed dark dimension dark roast coffee so we can have a nice clear-headed talk about next week's comics joe patrick what is your must-read pick for next wednesday the 23rd of march 
My pick for next week is Rogues, number one from DC Black Label. It's written by Joshua Williamson with art by Leo Max. That guy kicks ass. But I know. Hey, I Here's your this. solicit. Ten years ago, the Rogues disbanded and went their separate ways, but time hasn't been kind to the former blue-collar supercriminals. Caught in an endless cycle of prison, rehab, dead-end jobs, broken relationships, probation, and endless restitution fees, the Rogues are sick of paying for their crimes. Luckily, Captain Cold has a plan. One last job that will leave them all richer than their wildest dreams and free from their pasts, if they can survive. This is the rogues as you've never seen them before, reimagined by the incredible talents of those guys I mentioned. Rogues, a neo-noir heist that will make your blood run cold. Uh, This has everything going for it. I'm a mark for the Flash. I love the rogues. And Leo Max... Leo Max, I love that guy. Dude, we did fell basket in love full with of him. heads, yeah. That guy, basket man. full of heads. Man, he's good. And uh, like, I am excited to read his take on this sort of story. He's a weird pick for this. I mean, like, I like it, but he's kind of an odd pick for this. Well, I mean, consider that this is Black Label and it's set in the future, right? right? It's after the rogues have been in prison or this retired or whatever. Williamson's and first Black Label work, right? As far as I know, yeah, I yeah. think so. And so, yeah, it's, you know, it, it, it might be more of a not slice, not slice of life, but more of a, a true to life kind of story than a flashy superhero type story. I have a feeling. Yeah. And Joshua Williamson apparently got tired of writing everything in the DCU and now he's going to write black label stuff too. So, wow, that guy is busy. <laughs> I hope he's, I hope he can handle it. Yeah. My pick for next week is we have demons. Number one of three. From Dark Horse Comics, it is $5.99, but that is because it's 56 damn pages. It's packed. This is written by Scott Snyder with art by Greg Capullo. Here's your solicit. Since the very dawn of man, legends have been told of the conflict between angel and demon kind. Lamb Lyle, a woman of science, dismissed these stories as just that fiction. But when the loss of a loved one leads to the discovery of a hulking, benevolent demon named Helvis, Lamb realizes that her life is about to undergo a dire new direction. With newfound partner and awesome powers now at her disposal, our hero suddenly finds herself thrust into a climactic war of good and evil with no less than the fate of the world hanging in the balance. Now you're saying he's God. Please, God, let it be Helvis Presley. I don't think that's what's going on here. Please. Now, Matt, now you're saying now, Matt. All you did was make fun of these two when they wrote Death Metal. And I agree, we did. But it's not because Death Metal didn't look good. Greg Capullo is an amazing artist. And we both very much like Scott Snyder when he's not doing DC hero stuff. This was a Comixology exclusive, so it's the first time it's in print over at Dark Horse. So print nerds, this is your chance to check it out. The THN Trade of the Week goes to Moon Knight Omnibus Volume 1 from Marvel. It's $125, but it is an omnibus. Here's your solicit. Discover the many faces of the Moon Knight, mercenary, werewolf hunter, millionaire playboy, cab driver, superhero. Moon Knight is many things to many people, and he has the multiple personalities to match. Follow Mark Spector, the earthly fist of Khonshu, as he battles to find his place in the Marvel Universe and builds the strangest rogues gallery in all of comics. Prepare yourself for the deadly Bushmaster, Arsenal, the one-man army, stained glass scarlet, the nun with a crossbow. Yeah. And more featuring iconic stories by Doug Mensch and Bill Sienkiewicz. This collects a ton of crap. I'm not going to read the whole list. It's huge. It's not um, it's huge. And yeah, this is like, look, this is the book that you buy or, or 
look at digitally or what have you. These are the issues that you read if you want a primer about Moon Knight. We got a show the coming. Things Next everybody week. loves about Moon Knight. Next freaking week. I'm so excited. You want to know? I know you want you want to talk smack? I was there before it was cool. This is what you read. You can find our picks of the week every Wednesday on our Twitter and Facebook, but you're probably reading something great as well. Be sure to let us know right there on our post so we don't miss anything good. Yeah, we want to know what you guys are reading. You're, you're probably sick of hearing what we're reading. Tell us what you're reading. Excelsior! Oh. <laughs> that is it for THN 658. Next week, we are back to reviewing new comics. Plus, you're going to get a little sneak peek of our Patreon Extra segment. It may be Moon Knight flavored. Just in time for the Moon Knight show. If you want to wrap about this week's episode, however, or any of the weekly nerdy news that you think we should be following, hit us up on our live call-in show on THN, cover to cover, every Saturday at 11 Central Time. It's hosted on our Facebook page. And maybe you have Troll coming up with something to talk about. We give you a little something to get that started. We call it the question of the week. That's right, Matt. This week's question was submitted by us, but it was inspired by Frank Cirillo's uh, question from last week. We want to know what your what is your favorite character that was integrated into a comic book universe from a different storytelling medium? We're talking TVs, movies, novels, etc. Now, when we say integrated, we are talking about characters that live alongside your old favorites, not just characters that have comic book adaptations right. like. The Transformers. Like now, if you want to say, you know, like, no. hey, the Transformers, the Transformers met Spider-Man. Great. Fine. You know, if you want to make a case for it, that's fine. But these characters have to be in the universe alongside your old favorites. That's what we mean. But they started their life on TV, in a book, in a video game, whatever. Anywhere is not a comic I, book. Please, dear God, if there's somebody out there that's like, yeah, Swordmaster, I love him. I want to know. I want to sure. know why Swordmaster's cool. Maybe you're heavy into Twinkie the Kid. Let's hear about it. You know, let's do it. Mm, did Twinkie the Kid? He was a Twinkie before he became a comic book character. Nope. <laughs> that's not how that works. <laughs> also, you can find our question of the week every Thursday. I post it on our Facebook and our Twitter as well if you're looking for that. I can't remember there what you it go. was. Please do keep your question of the week suggestions coming. And if you want to play along with Cover to Cover Live, you can join us on Zoom by clicking the link in the Facebook Live video chat. If you can't be there live, you can send an MP3 to 2 at nerd at gmail.com or leave a message on the THN hotline, 402-819-4894. You could be internet famous. Please, we do ask that you uh, keep your recorded messages to two minutes or less so that we can share the air with the live callers. We tend to give them more time because they took, I mean, they made the effort to be there live. Uh, now, you can also use the email, the hotline, and the new contact THN link uh, to editor.com to send us uh, any of these things, your questions of the week, your answers of the week, et cetera, et cetera. If you're new to the show and you'd rather beat us with shillelaghs than listen to any more, I assure you it's only because you haven't heard enough. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital longbox archive at TwoHeadedNerd.com. THN is a listener-supported podcast. It would not be possible without the generosity of donors like our newest patron, Carrie Pierce. Sounds like a nice Irish kid, right, Pierce? Yeah. Hey, I'm sorry we made fun of your heritage. The Could be show. English. I'm calling you Irish. Deal with it. If you like what you hear every week, it's easy to support the show. You can sign up to be a patron at patreon.com backslash two-headed nerd where you'll hear all kinds of exclusive content 
or you can just make a one-time donation via PayPal because you think it's ridiculous that a couple of buddies that used to manage a comic book store couldn't stop fighting with each other and have now done it on the internet for more than 11 years. That's crazy. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's an accurate uh, description. Before we go, our weekly shout out goes to our old pal Phil Hester. We talked about him earlier on the show. He's been teasing his new project on Twitter this week. Uh, he's not been able to say what it is yet, but he does say that it's the biggest thing he's done at DC since Green Arrow. And if you weren't around at the time, Green Arrow was huge. The Green Arrow relaunch was a huge deal. Written by one of the hottest filmmakers going at the time. Yep. And that is good news for Phil. Word to you, buddy. We cannot wait to read it. I hope it's about Brother Power the Geek. I hope it's Hawkman or I riot. Oh, actually, I hope he finally gets his chance to draw Ragman. He's always wanted to draw Ragman. Yeah, but I don't think Ragman is just the biggest thing he's ever done. Depends on the writer. <laughs> okay, I'll give you that. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics. Your gumbing might just slap his langer right on him. This is the two-headed nerd signing off. Saints be praised. <laughs> <laughs>